This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This is The Signal, presented by Euphemet. I'm your host, Jim Perry. On this edition, a conversation I've been waiting so long to have. You know, when I started Euphemet so many years ago, if you would have asked me my top five people to have a conversation with, my guest tonight would have been at the top of the list. And so how do you live up to that? (laughs) So many expectations over so many years. They don't disappoint. I hope I don't either. But again, uh, you're kind of really stacking the odds against you no matter what after wanting to speak with someone for so long. This person is Whitley Streber who in upstate New York was taken in the night and his life was changed forever because this time he remembered it. What followed was a book out of his extreme situation, a book called Communion, which took the world by storm and offered the respected novelist ridicule for what he reported happened to him on that night. What maybe Whitley could have never understood in 1995, facing the sneers and all the talk, maybe being up late talking to Art Bell, recounting his story over and over again, is that it would transform his life in ways that he could have never even expected the terror of that night, which many of you listening to this have heard so many times. Repeated not just by Whitley, but so many experiencers out there, so many folks that I've spent time with and talked to who very earnestly share the situation that they think they are crazy for having, yet is very real. What Whitley could not have ever imagined is that the story of the greys or the aliens or non-human intelligence or whatever that portion of the phenomenon that people are experiencing 
whether it's real or not. This is a story not just about them. It's about us. In the foreword to Whitley's new book, Them, he says Them is about aliens and it is about us. It builds on everything the deeply inquisitive mind of Whitley Strieber has experienced and investigated throughout his life. His readers have followed him across this dangerous landscape before, and we've heard his critics challenge the veracity of his observations. You know, what's interesting about that quote from Dr. Valet is that Whitley challenges the veracity of his observations, but one thing he can't challenge is its authenticity to how it's changed his life and perspective a spiritual journey that's lasted even longer than he could remember these things occurring. Another person who remembers later earlier memories of being taken in the night. This conversation goes really deep. It's, I mean, listen, I get emotional. Whitley gets emotional. We talk the full spectrum of his experiences he revisits some of his earliest memories of what it was like that first time in 1995, how it affected his career, how it affected his life, his career and love of his life, and how Anne, even from beyond, is still a part of his life. It was really touching to me. It, it, uh, you can't help but to hear your own story in Whitley's when you've been an experiencer yourself. Now, I, I can't claim that I've been abducted, but have I had experiences that completely broke my mind, that challenged my own belief in my ability to consciously navigate these things I can't understand? That what I am seeing is true or not? Often when I'm left with this idea in my head, it's as if it doesn't really matter because the change has already happened. The change has occurred. And we also talk a lot about being an active participant and how important that is. And that sometimes the phenomenon engages us in a way that it almost just invites us to participate as not just a observer of our life, even though, according to Whitley, that is also very important to become a silent observer of your life, but to become a participant and active in that journey. It also gets pretty controversial. Whitley shares his belief in what these things could be doing, why they could be abducting us, for what purpose. It's something that, if I'm honest, I don't know what I believe in. All of it makes me very uncomfortable, and I guess that's maybe the point. We start talking a little bit, and, and you'll, you'll know the parts because you'll hear maybe the hesitation in my voice. Um, it, it's, it's, it's really deep stuff, and it's things that experiencers... Um, have been dealing with for a long time that can't be really separated from the abduction experience itself, I don't think. One thing is for certain is that this is a conversation with Whitley like I, I think you've never heard before, and one that is candid and casual yet deep. And I am really proud of it, even though, as I mentioned, I have the highest standards for such a conversation and myself. I'm also sick during this 
Ryan Singer generously allowed me to borrow one of his mics. I was in a hotel in Burbank after doing a bunch of Defy stuff over the weekend. So it's not my usual setup. But talking to a friend today about that very scenario of kind of being a little off your game, <laughs> not being in a comfortable setting, sometimes what that does to conversations is it opens you up in a new way. And maybe that's why I was a little emotional and uncomfortable and cagey, or maybe it was just the weight of a conversation like this. Now, I'll tell you one thing. I, I can't wait to talk to Whitley again. There were so many questions that I had left on the table, and I think... I think he'll want to have another conversation, and I'm really excited about that opportunity. I did also want to let you know that I have about three different series in production for this podcast feed. One of them is the You've Met documentary feature series that is coming back soon, and I'm accepting stories again. For some of you that have sent me things and I haven't quite got back to you, I'll be doing that in the next week or so, and I appreciate you so much being patient uh, for me to be able to do that. Uh, we're combing through just so much material, and I'm, I just have to thank you again for all the great notes of encouragement and excitement around this feed being active again. And let me tell you, this is just this is just the start of what is going to be a very busy year for this podcast feed with a bunch of different stuff coming your way. Some of it is going to challenge you in which I hope it really does, uh, in, not a, in not a bad way either. But it's going to be some different material that I don't think, um, yeah, is not consistent with the formats you have seen thus far. So it will be different, new, and interesting. I know this. But I guess what I was trying to get to is that because I'm working on the feature documentary series, I want to hear your stories. You can email me your experiences at jim at euphemet.com. All right, so without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with the one and only Whitley Streber. Listen, we, we, we get there. We really get into the shit. So slip into it. Enjoy the flow of it. And get ready, I think, to be moved. Until next time. Enjoy this conversation. Keep looking up. Whitley Streber's A New World uses the wealth of new close encounter experiences Whitley has had since 2015 to paint an entirely new picture of reality, humanity, and the unknown consciousness that shares our world with us. An intense encounter on February of 2016 led to three years of intense lessons in what we need to do and understand to communicate with them and resulted in this totally new vision of the close encounter experience, a new world is light years ahead of anything ever published before about the subject of the visitors. This is why, in his preface, Dr. Jeffrey Kripal says of a new world, this book is contact. Wow, Whitley, uh, listen, can you describe a little bit how this book is contact? That statement is breathtaking and gave me chills as soon as I read it. Well, uh, it's as broad a question as there could be, yeah. because this issue of contact is as ambiguous and difficult an issue as we can face. Uh, the 
the um that jeff kripal wrote the whole thing didn't he yes that's right that was his statement yeah, yeah the book was uh okay. contact well what what he means is this i think that the book offers ways of looking at the the overall experience that are quite different from what is going on kind of in the broader community of people who are interested in it uh mm -hmm. basically people are waiting for you for the government to say something or for someone to land from another planet on the white house lawn or something is a very simplistic approach but this consciousness is a very is an active presence and but until you understand it as a, a genuine unknown in the deepest sense of the word and people brush that off with oh it must be interdimensionals i would explain initially that word has no meaning at all it doesn't mean anything because we have no idea what it might mean it's simply mm -hmm. a way of saying we don't understand it's like the the misuse of the word quantum which is turned into a magic term of magic but mm -hmm. it's not there's nothing magic it simply means the smallest possible unit of something yeah it's that's all but the other side of the coin is this is here it is in some way part of us or we would not perceive it our world around us is part of us too uh in the sense that our perceptions are coming in from the outside all the time now it is possible to turn toward it hmm. for anyone anyone yeah it is and the book shows basically how i've done that and ways of doing it ways others have done it and do it to this day and it illustrates and expresses some of the advantages of doing that and some of the dangers and some of the rigors because it's very rigorous it's not easy yeah. uh these the stories of angelic aliens and so forth are all fine and good but there are other stories and there are lives like my life which is hard but extremely rewarding at the same time and these senses i think this is what jeffrey means by contact you can become an active participant in the relationship with this other aspect of consciousness without thinking of it as an alien consciousness as a consciousness of some dis disembodied kind or even as an aspect of us without going toward an answer to those questions because as soon as you start looking in that direction you are looking away from contact mm, yes. contact is in its essence a question yeah right and it's uh, it's a little bit sort of that belief versus consideration correct like you're not really asking anyone to believe anything necessarily you're asking them to consider with with an open heart and i think that 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 idea of bringing bringing people as close to contact as possible so they can internalize and feel what that is is maybe the closest they can get would you would you agree with that well, my wife, Anne, who you can see in the picture behind me, uh, is very much a part of my life to this day, uh, has said, 
the human species is too young to have beliefs. What we need are good questions. And that is the essential reality. We jump from belief to belief to belief. And G.I. Gurdjieff, whose work I've followed for many years, used to call this pouring from the empty into the void. And that is that is the spiritual search of most of us. We are pouring from the empty into the void. We find one guru or, or meditation expert, and this is really cool, and I'm reading so much for this. This is wonderful. And then after a while, it gets boring and uh, and try another one. And, you know, then this guy is a master. This this lady is just, she's a direct connect connection with the goddess. And it just is... A, it's a journey of the outer outer being in the in the world, and it is literally pouring from the empty into the void. There is someone within us all. That someone is silent. That someone is not Whitley or Anne or anyone like that. That that that, that isn't the name is attached to an external personality, which is designed to function in the social culture. That's mm. all. Mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. And it dies with the body. It is part of the brain. It's a brain function. So if you think you, you you are horrified at the idea that you will cease to exist when you die, you will and you won't. Uh, the inner being will take of this life the best that you left it, mm -hmm. the best that you gave it. And if that is like uh, you see these one of the reasons I didn't go into politics was I was just I decided I'm not strong enough to come out of this life badly scarred by a political career <laughs> and right. and uh, one of the things that happens is that if you if you go way back to the ancient Egyptians who had a lot of wisdom about this. Their thought was that the soul would be measured against the weight of a feather after it you died, and only then would you have the ability to rise, to ascend. You would be you'd have to be light enough to ascend. And what does that lightness mean? It means that you must not be looking back on your life with regret or identification, anger, uh, a sense of desire and lust. Why didn't I get this? Why didn't I get that? And every one of those little things is like a little tiny lead weight that is attached, attaches to your soul. And so you stay kind of lingering here if you if you die in that way. But if you die... If you read the 42 laws of Ma'at, and it's not too hard to, those are the original, it's the original Ten Commandments. Moses very brilliantly uh, condensed the 42 laws of Ma'at into Ten Commandments. But if you read the original 42 laws of Ma'at, you can find all kinds of ways of looking at yourself and say, say, saying, well, you know, I've done this, and now what do I, what do I do to free myself of, of, of this weight? And the answer comes in my life from the work of G.I. Gurdjieff, who spoke of remorse of conscience. 
And because there's lots of things you can't change. You did and you can't change them. Uh, and they hurt people. And they're, and we, and we, in the West, we're all fascinated by our guilt uh, because we come in a culture that starts with the idea that we're, we're kind of deformed by original <laughs> sin, which is right. And, and that, and even though we're no longer really connected to that, those old Christian ideas, the sense of guilt remains fundamental to Western culture, absolutely mm -hmm. fundamental. And you will find it in every single one of us. Yeah. So how do you how do you serve, observe, and accept that part of you without making it a uh, all of you? And you have to lead an examined life. You have to examine your life very, very carefully. You know what happens when you do that. And you really do it. Uh, Annie used to say that you will start, you will know you're on the right track when you're looking at yourself and you find yourself starting to laugh. Mm. And she would always quote Meister Eckhart's phrase, God laughs and plays. Mm. Because once you once you're laughing at yourself, you're going down the right road. <laughs> right. There is not one of us here who is not an unwitting comedian. Mm -hmm. uh, not one of us. Yeah. When I look back on my own life, uh, it can become a riot of laughter. And I will tell you what laughter really is. Laughter is the wing of the angels hmm. their wings are made of laughter oh that's great that's awesome i hope you're right about that because it uh sounds great and hilarious and i guess that would be the point <laughs> well you know <laughs> right, you look really? at someone like hitler and you think to yourself how could he do this how could he achieve this and the answer is he couldn't because he went too far down the weight yeah. on him became so great that he's, I'll tell you what happens. And he's confined in a very small space of his own making and will be there. I don't, I'm not a judge of the other man. I don't know how, Yeah, but he's not, he's not part of us anymore. Right. And this is, this happens, and it can happen. Fortunately, it's rare because we 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 can discover this sense of humor about ourselves. Yeah, and it, because most of us are good people. Yeah, most of us haven't done terrible things. You know, someone who's murdered his her husband or murdered his wife. Yeah, they got a big problem, bigger than the problems I'm talking about. Most of us didn't do anything like that. Yeah, and, and the planet actually is a is a is a a, a um, it's not a farm, and and uh, Charles Fort was wrong to call this a barnyard. It's not mm. a barnyard. It's more like a forest, and uh, it's full of little deer 
running scared. That's us and forest creatures and hunters this, that we don't quite understand. And that's our visitors. And um, getting to the point of accepting them is a big part of, of growing up both as an individual as as a species. You know, when a herd of moose are being uh, attacked by a pack of wolves, they will circle their young. The mothers will circle the babies, and the bigger males will circle the mothers. But there's one moose who will not be in that circle. He will be outside of it. And it's the sick moose or the old moose. The sick or the old wow. will give himself to the wolves. Mm. And you understand that this is not murder. There's something very beautiful about this. Yeah. Something extraordinary about it. It's, a, it's because it's part of nature. And our relationship with the visitors is exactly the same. It's part of nature on a spiritual basis. Because, uh, you know, they rarely show up physically. And when they do, they're not particularly good at it. And uh, 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 But they are here in the soul level. And uh, they're, from their standpoint, if we come out of the body ready to ascend, that's fine. They're glad. And if we come out to the body of the body, ready to be delivered to them for their purposes, then that's fine too. Uh, they're they're not uh, they're not trying to do anything. They're simply consuming what is given to them. And many of us live unexamined lives, and we don't notice anything about our we're very very passive and our mm -hmm. souls come out like ripe fruit for the taking mm -hmm. a conscious being is in in control of its whole death experience and was and it was an amazing thing to see amazing thing to see i saw the whole thing mm -hmm. so It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. an ecosystem that we live in perhaps that we just don't quite understand or have the consciousness or self-awareness to understand well here's the thing the prey never understands the predator yeah he never gets he never gets it <laughs> yeah you know, he just you know if you if you go onto the veld uh the scent of a distant lion 
lion, pride of lions, worries the gazelles and they organize together and they begin to get together. But they don't really, even when they see the lions, they're they're uneasy, but they don't run until the lions run. Hmm. And that's why they someone always gets caught, because they always <laughs> wait too late. And that's the, the nature of the thing. It's the nature of the thing. Being passive to life is na- is natural, and uh, when you do that, your your life experience ends up in somebody else's uh, being. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's what the grays are here for. That's what they they do. That's what they want. Yeah. But it doesn't need to be that way. Your life experience can be remain your own yeah. and belong to you, uh, and you can. St- for example, still function in this level of reality on many different levels in many different ways. Anne is a a child again in the world growing up. Uh, She's back, but she's also Mm -hmm. Anne at the same time. One of the first things she said to me after she died was, I'm not Anne anymore, but I'll always be Anne for you. And she is. She is my Anne, and we're together all the time. Uh, and she she still watches over me, and I have a tendency to fall asleep at awkward moments. Uh, and uh, she has a system of uh, touching me down on my lower legs, and with a very strong sort of kinetic vibration. And she uses this to wake me up when that happens. When I'm meditating with a group of people and leading the meditation, there's always a a tendency, a, a danger that I'll fall asleep. But with Anne around, there's no problem because she wakes me up immediately. But I'll tell you, interestingly enough, the time, most recent time that she was wake, woke me up with the most intensity was I was at a movie with the children, the grandchildren. Uh, I believe it was Sonic the Hedgehog, some movie like some kids' movie, one yeah, of those. Sure. We have we live, by the way, in a in an absolute renaissance of children's movies there's oh loads gosh. of good, good ones yeah. around and uh um so we were there and i fell asleep and i'm telling you i felt like almost like i was in an electric chair <laughs> she's woke me up instantly because she she uses the body too yeah. to yeah. to be in this world that's yeah. why i wear both rings because we both use this body now yeah bodies are community property we think mm. this is me Oh, but it's not only you. You can open your door, and others can be in, enjoy the journey through time with you. And it's like a timeshare of some sort, huh? It's exactly yeah. that. Perfect. Yeah. It's a timeshare, yeah. and so I timeshare with her, and I timeshare with others. I'm, I'm perfectly happy to share with others. And uh, yeah. if you want to get 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 some grateful friends on the other side. Share your body with them, and they'll they'll be they'll be your friends forever. Because that's not something too many people are willing to do. They're too scared. Yeah, right. I I think so many people have had that experience, right, where they they do feel as if someone else has entered their space, and sometimes it's in the pursuit of of maybe helping them make a better decision or keeping them out of danger, and them not understanding like what happened there. 
that wasn't even me. And I was able to get out of that dangerous situation or whatever it was. I, yes. I, yeah, it's it's uh, endlessly fascinating. Listen, I, you know, um, I got to say, I the first time I heard your voice, Whitley, was in 1995. It was your first appearance with Art. Because I was a 10 or 11-year-old kid that couldn't sleep at night. And so I listened to art every single night. And it's resulted in me like having this as a career, essentially, is the inspiration from you guys. But despite the the, the milestones of, of your you know, sort of career and your life that you've been so giving and sharing to with everyone, despite how impactful the communion cover was to my young mind and uh, uh, how, how frightening it was for me for so many years, um, you know, the, the thing that makes me choked up over here is um the one give me one second um i think the defining element of your work is your love for anne yeah my work with anne and my life with anne yeah well, we, you know, we don't die. A, a lot of us disappear, unfortunately, uh, because when we, when the body ends, there's not much left. The soul didn't get much food out of life because we basically went through it like sleepwalkers. Uh, but um, <laughs> not everybody does that. And she didn't do it at all. She was not a sleepwalker. <laughs> and and uh, so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very blessed thing to, to have this and uh, it's something that you know the afterlife revolution you, you have to work hard to be this way you have to you have to be in the world and also be in 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 in, in a higher level at the same time and th there's so many ways of making mistakes with this like for example uh, people will think well you know i'm going to I'm going to become a monk or, or, you know, I'm going to completely devote myself to the journey. Mm. Then there is no journey. Yeah. You die and you <laughs> die and you say, well, good Lord. I sat myself down in that monastery for 50 years and didn't do a darn thing. Now what have I got? You have to live life to the fullest, but to observe yourself doing it. Not interrupt that, but simply be what I talked about at the beginning, the silent observer, the observer, looking at life, looking at what is going on, and um, uh, being as objective about it as possible. This is the secret of the Sphinx. Um, this what happened what the and this is the oldest philosophical idea in human thought it mm. comes from way before we even had writing and it is one of the earliest uh 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 moments of language let me put it this way mm -hmm. we sang for many thousands of years and when we began to speak in words these are among the first words we spoke the Sphinx is a mystery, but the mystery has certain attributes. It has the haunches of a bull. 
it has the claws of a lion, it has the head of a man, and the wings of an eagle. The haunches of the bull are the strength of the body. The claws of the lion are the power and courage of the heart. The intelligence of the man match, uh, balances the strength of the body, the physical desires and needs, and, and all of that with the heart. And the three acting together in balance are in such harmony that the wings of the eagle spread and we rise above the flow of time mm. and begin to see our lives objectively from above, disturbing nothing. It's very important. If you're going to see, you obviously can't see anything if you disturb it. I mean, if you're going to look at a flower, if you're going to cut the flower, you're not going to see anything. The flower is going to be gone. Yeah. So that spreading of the wings, rising above life, seeing your life objectively, and that is awakening. That is what it is. And this is the oldest of all ideas, and it stands waiting for every one of us. We can all use that tool to awaken. If we have an objective vision of our true hearts and our true bodies, our, by bodies I mean our needs and desires, and hearts I mean the courage to be real in the world, to be really who I am, that courage. And it takes great intelligence to do those two things. Now, in a later reflection of it, the most recent one is the Trinity. Uh, the, the 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 active force in the triad is the uh, is the the pause the emotions. The passive force is the strength, the body, and the reconciling, balancing force is the head. In the Trinity. The active force is Jesus. The passive force is God. And the reconciling force is the Holy Spirit, the spirit that moves among us. Uh, and it's it's exactly the same in atomic physics. Mm -hmm. uh, the proton, the neutron, and the electron are the three in physics so it's the fundamental building block of that's why buckminster fuller fuller called the triad the fundamental building block of the universe mm -hmm. and the sphinx mm -hmm. reflects that and so does the trinity and all of the different triads and all of the different religious religions and philosophies of the world mm -hmm. this triad is each of us is this triad yeah, it's so fascinating. Um, one of my best friends is a, a mystic who uh, studies non-dual Kabbalism, and um, their trip seems to be the third thing, right? With these two things, you inevitably influence and build this third. And in a way, those forces, when acting together, become a, participa a participatory element 
in their own right, don't they? They do. Yes, they do. The license to 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 uh, practice being fully human is not hard to acquire. It's this. It's understanding the triad. Then you you can make you can make your way from there in any path you wish to choose. I've also discovered through through my work traveling and talking to experiencers in particular that you know um, things like mysticism. And digging into, you know, um, ancient knowledge and uh, these ideas about basically providing a lens, you know, and a perspective to view life through um, can help some experiencers, whether that is of non-human intelligence or of hauntings or maybe, I mean, maybe it's all, <laughs> maybe it's all the same. Um, it, 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 it helps them and help uh, gain yeah. perspective over something that feels so uncontrollable. Is that what is is that what you encountered along what part of your journey did you find mysticism and and an idea in which you could frame and live through this this came to me before long before the close encounter in 1985 mm. I had a lot of experiences as a child I think I say I think because I can't claim to have I I can't claim that the memories I have are accurate simply because I was a little child with absolutely nothing to compare them to. So I just don't know. But I do have that sense. Mm -hmm. um, certain things I remember may be true, but the other problem is that the visitors have a, a an annoying tendency to implant memories in people. And they can do that very easily. And the result is, I'm not absolutely sure. Like I have a memory of as a very young child being taken into a program at Randolph Air, an accelerated learning program at Randolph Air Force Base when I was seven. And it was very traumatic and it caused my immune system to collapse. And I ended up in Brook General Hospital, the military hospital in San Antonio, giving, being given gamma globulin shots in October of 1952. But um, th that's a fact. And I was out of school from 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 October until uh, January. I was in isolation. That's a fact. And I have a friend who was recruited for the same program, and he he uh, remembers being in the living room when his parents were re recruited by the two Air Force people who were going around recruiting super bright kids, and um, they wouldn't let him join it because they heard that it, they said it involved the use of a Skinner box, which is a as a which is basically a box a child is placed in and repetitive learning takes place. Oh, but wow. here's the problem. It sounds so real. But on another level, I wonder if it even happened. Yeah. And because I think the visitors could could easily have have penetrated that memory into both of our minds. Mm -hmm. I just don't know. And so, uh, because I don't have any direct memories of it happening, I only have memories of getting very sick and ending up at the at the military hospital. And I, but I think back, and why would I be taken to a military hospital? I wasn't. We weren't in the military, unless it had something to do with it. That's the sort of thing I mean. You can't trust your darn memories; they play with your memories. 
they play games with your memories. And this is one of the things that happens to the close encounter witnesses. None of us can say for sure that we're that what happened to us was factual. I've got a new book I just brought out called Them that's uh, just appearing on Amazon as we speak in the, and uh, will be in, out on Audible in another couple of weeks. The um, And the it involves, among other things, an analysis of 11 letters that of the among the many letters we've received over the years of experience descriptions. And mm. all of these are letters except for one where, or no, yeah, one, where the person, there was multiple witness corroboration. But at the same time, there's a report that was published in 1997 by the British, by British intelligence uh, called the Condine Report, different from the Condon Report. Mm. And it is, it points out that proximity to UAP can cause you to have memories of things that didn't happen. And I've experienced wow. this myself. So we don't really know what the close encounter experience is. And I'm hoping that all of these corroborated, where more than one person is participating in the experience at the same time, helps to, to uh, fix that in some kind of stable reality. And you know the result of this is? These letters are the most strange things you can imagine. Mm. They're incredibly strange. Incredibly strange. Yeah. Um, Over the years, you've developed a relationship to the visitors, you believe? Yes. Well, I definitely have. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, with that, do you feel like you've gained insight into you know, um, uh, context around some of those strange letters that you received? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. why I was able to write this book now, because my, many of the letters have been in my files for years, mm. and some of them appear in the communion letters that was published, first published by, uh, was it Harper Collins or somebody 25 years ago? Right. But only recently, because of all the experience I have had, I live with the visitors. They're part of my life. Yeah. And my relationship with them is it, extremely complex and rich. Now I can understand those letters because I'm I understand them better than I ever have before. But it took all these years and the letters are I think my analyses in these letters are accurate, quite accurate. to me, you know, before you had that relationship that it built over time and while this was still new and occurring to you in the mid 90s, you know, your I think your career was at an interesting time too, right? Because I had heard that many were saying, well, this guy, he's going to be the new Stephen King. This is it. Like this, this, this horror fiction, it's incredible. And then you had essentially become a character in your own 
in one of your own novels, in a sense, but in yeah, real life. That's very definitely what happened. So I, how, how did, how, how were you able how to... How did that happen? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of ways of thinking about that. Uh, here's one of them, uh, just one. I First, this was in my life prior to the writing of Communion. I just didn't know it consciously. Yeah. Uh, and if you look at the early novels, the first novel that I published, The Wolfen, is about a species of brilliant predator. They're gray in color. They have extraordinary senses that 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 in that are like the they're beyond the best technology we have because their extraordinary hearing, scent, and eyes are coupled with a highly inter- intelligent brain. And you know they're way ahead of us because of this. Now. Okay, so that's the grays. Then the next novel is these vampiric, beautiful, appealing creatures who will draw you into their lives and and make you part of their world and give you all kinds of extraordinary powers for a while. That's the blondes. Then come the books about the danger of nuclear war in war day and then nature's end the uh danger of in, to the environment and if you read nature's end it's got a lot of sort of sort of old-fashioned science fiction in it at this point but it also has a very accurate description of the way our world is forming now the two main themes in a warning in the whole close encounter experience are nuclear war and environmental danger. Yeah. So here you have, oh, and then there's the book written just before the close encounter experience, Cat Magic. Mm-hmm. And Cat Magic is, I think it was even published after the experience and before communion. Uh, is about the whole fairy faith and the fairy the world of the fairy folk. Um, and, of course, Passport to Magonia, Jacques Vallée's book, maintains, I think correctly, that the fairy faith of that the uh, contact stories emerge out of the old fairy faith. They're a modern reinterpretation of the same relationship. Yeah. Right. So it, it's all an integral thing. And then... Then I'll tell you the first thing that I thought when I opened my eyes and I realized I was in this room full of these bizarre beings, that it was a nightmare. And it actually did cross my mind. I've got a new horror. <laughs> That's one of the first <laughs> things that crossed my mind when I was I know it's hilarious, when I was there. And then I realized, wait a minute, am I mistaken or is this real? This seems to be real. Yeah, the idea of horror novels swept out of my mind because, boy, I mean that that was an explosive moment in my life. Yeah, when I realized that these guys were real, I was upset. Yeah, very, very upset. Yeah, it was really appalling. I'm telling you, I mean they were darting around. They were hideous. They were. And then in the middle of the whole thing, I'm struggling and trying to get out of there. There's this mechanical voice going, 
What can we do to help you stop screaming? What can we do to help you stop screaming? Well, one thing would be to not try to calm me down with a robot voice. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, then let's uh, start there. <laughs> yeah. Then, of course, the rectal probe incident occurs. And I don't know what the hell they're doing. I mean, they're sticking something in, up my ass. Then I get an erection. And you can hear in the hypnosis tape, you know, I don't understand why I have an erection because I have to tell you, that was the least sexy situation I've ever been in in my life. <laughs> right. Here I am with this erection. And then, then they take a, they get a little cup and they, I get an ejaculate out and, and they take it. They take it. Man. And man, it, you know, I'm struggling madly. And uh, then uh, later, of course, I had the experience of my, eventually my doctor examined my butt because he, I was complaining about the pain. And he says, Whitley, you do know you've been raped. Mm. And, you know, every time I talk about it, it's happening right now. The pain returns yeah. because the scar tissue still exists. It's still there. Some yeah. of it. And uh, I. I. Uh, that was hard, boy. And but even harder was when I guess it was probably Air Force intelligence or somebody was working overtime to marginalize me because they are hiding. This is their secret. Their secret is the abductions happened and they couldn't do anything about it and they don't understand it. They do know that the eggs and semen of millions of people were taken. Yeah. They know that. And they may even know what was done with it or have some ideas. But they are never going to admit that they could not protect us from this threat from above because that's precisely what it was. Yeah. Um, anyway, I had the experience of having my rape turned into an international joke yeah and you know every time i hear a rectal probe joke i feel that pain again yeah and you know we live in a very politically correct world now and a very uh uh woke world but there's one group of people you don't have to be politically correct about you don't have to be woke about and the even the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, they all welcome yeah. the bullying of the close encounter witness. Yeah. And, you know, it even happens within the, uh, you know, sort of the niche of the paranormal community. Absolutely. You know, it happens everywhere. Yeah. It's OK for, you know, uh, someone that has had a ghost experience. That's welcome. That's tableside talk. That's right. around the water cooler. Someone that thinks they saw something mysterious in the woods. Someone that was visited by a relative, you know, that had passed. But when it comes to the experiencer phenomenon and what these what, what, what these folks are engaged with, it, it, it is that last it is that last thing, I think. That people have not accepted and have not really opened their heart up to what this is. And they have not. And they have been. There's a couple of reasons for it. It's very intimidating. Nobody oh, wants yeah. to think about that. Nobody right. wants to think that I could wake up in the middle of the night in some little little room and, and, and be raped. Yeah. 
And they also don't want to think about the other thing. That sexual material, it was taken. Mm-hmm. What was done with it? Yeah. It was too much taken for it to just be a DNA analysis. They could have they could have analyzed the DNA of the whole species with a few, a few hundred people selected from around the world. Yeah. And it would have taken, they could have done it in a single night. Mm-hmm. This was over years and thousands upon thousands of people were involved, meaning that they're not just collecting DNA. They're making people. Mm. That's the truth of it. It has to be. And in fact, uh, in, in the new book, in them, I analyze a letter that a, a woman just wrote in the 80s of an experience she had in the 50s where it was a gat they gathered dna from this woman as a child they gathered this stem cells from this woman in order to make a clone and so it's about cloning it's about matching semen and eggs and making people and we have no idea what is being done to them where they are, what has happened to them. I have lost semen to this, and I'm talking now to thousands of women who have lost eggs, men who have lost semen. Where are our children? Yeah. We don't even get a chance to grieve because, basically, because the military is keeping this secret we don't even get a chance to grieve yeah if we were to sort of speculate from what our instincts are telling us why what why why is this happening why do they want to make clones or people or what do you think the 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 goal is well uh, I could list a number of possible goals and hope that one of them is the goal, and it may be that there's more than one goal. It could be that our bodies are very desirable and they want to use them and put their own souls in them. Because the other thing about this is our entire intellectual community, the scientists, the academics, all of them, absolutely reject the possibility that the soul exists. But the soul is what this is all about. It's all about souls. And it, the soul rises with the body, but I have a feeling that they can interrupt that process and make sure that the soul that rises with the body is one of their souls that enters it and becomes part of it. I, I This is one possibility. Mm-hmm. Another possibility is they feel that the planet is going to go into an extinction event, which it does rather frequently in its geologic history, and we're going to be victims of that. And therefore, they want to preserve the species in some way mm-hmm. and it, it, and probably observe, preserve the whole flora and fauna, fauna of the planet. You know, with the powers they have, they, may, they might be able to terraform another rocky planet somewhere and build a new Earth. Mm-hmm. Um and then there'll be people like us there thinking, I wonder where we came from. Why do we have this 
longing to return to the stars? Why did the Egyptians want to return to Orion? Why did they make boats that were designed to float into the stars? Yeah. And why was that such a common theme in so many parts of the world? You know, I had a friend, Jimmy Zintgraff, who had a spread in way south in Texas along the Pedernales River uh, and near Del Rio. Mm, that's pretty and, country. Yeah. Oh, it's pretty harsh country, but it's uh -huh. nice country. The, yeah. Where the Pedernales opens out, it's beautiful. The river is very wide. It goes down a canyon. And at certain times of the year, the Milky Way is reflected in that uh. canyon, just like in the Nile. And incredibly, Jimmy's walking one morning, looking at his ranch, because there's been a big storm, and he's looking out over the ranch, and he sees this partially caved-in wall. And he looks, and there's painting in there. And he found this painting that's called now known as the White Shaman. It's one of the greatest pieces of rock art in the world. And Jimmy left it to... I believe it's a it's a museum now. In other words, his place where we used to tramp around and play jokes on each other and cheat at cards is now this <laughs> official kind of museum, which is wonderful because it, it means the white shaman will be preserved forever. And um, when I looked at it, I went down there and looked at it. I said, Jimmy, this is the journey to the Milky Way. It's the same journey as... The, the Egyptians were taking in the Nile. And here's this white shaman is 5,000 years old in South Texas. And the same belief that was in, 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 uh, in Egypt. Of course, the archaeologists took over and they have no, no sense of the past at all. They only, so the, the reproduction of it in the Witte Museum in San Antonio says that the, the uh, purpose of what's going on is all unknown. It's not unknown to a, to a, a person with genuine esoteric knowledge at all. You can see very clearly what the shaman is doing. So that idea is so old. Maybe it's happened before. Maybe we are seeded from another world that died. And th this process is happening again and maybe it happens regularly across the vast trackless waste and history of the universe and maybe that's what they are they are midwives you know that's that's what's wild about this whitley is that i think it goes back to what you said about having a self-awareness and a humor about this too in that you can see how these ideas that, that, that we do end up at in terms of what maybe some of the purpose of all this is, you can see how some people take it to the extreme, right? You can see how some people go like, well, this is it. Now, now this is where we're going and develop like sort of a cult-like behavior or, you know, sort of get into that trench. And we've seen those communities build up like sort of on the fringes or peripherals of, of, of this, uh, of, of this movement, I suppose. So... In addition to that, like sort of dealing with the mainstream narrative of what these things are and, the, you know, the the the, the sort of the disclosure folks that that is like the only thing that matters to them is like trying to get some sort of official disclosure. How important just to, just to like really go back down into what you were talking about, how important do you think it is 
to carry a sense of wonder and levity and openness into this space with us while these things are happening around us that we can both confirm on a sort of emotional and spiritual level, yet physically we have such a hard time with wrapping our fingers around it. Well, I again must refer to Anne's statement, the human species is too young to have beliefs. We, what we need are good questions. And that also, and the ability to laugh, is a very complex thing. It's much more complex than it seems. Uh, you, because uh, laughter can be accepting, laughter can be objective, laughter can be appreciative, but laughter is always releasing. It releases energy. And um, uh, we have to have that level of approach. If we start to take it too seriously, the next thing you know, you're 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 drinking the the Kool-Aid with Jim Jones or right. or uh or that uh what we Bow and Peep. Yeah. And the her the Heaven's Gate people. Right. And uh boy, I remember I went on our show when uh what's his name? Uh, I forget his name, the character who was um saying that his remote viewing had showed that there was a, yeah. a, a an object behind uh the um the comet yeah and I was I, I called the Greenwich Observatory and they said they said there was one a plasma of some kind behind the comet and then they said there wasn't hmm. and so uh the guy had uh had this picture up that he'd drawn a big circle around and said that was the object, but it didn't prove anything. And I was saying that on the show, it doesn't prove anything. He's saying this, but other observatories are saying it's not there. The yeah. observatories are saying it's not there. So, and, and it's just a picture of a blob. You don't know what he's got. Yeah. And the next thing I knew, the Heaven's Gate people had bought into the idea and uh, decided to go to this mothership. Then months later, it became known in the astronomical community that there had been a plasma there. And uh, one scientist theorized that it may have been some kind of a craft, and its purpose for following a comet would have been to gather water, which mm -hmm. is what the comet would be outgassing as it approached the sun. Mm -hmm. And it was basically like a like an old steam train at, at a uh, watering hole replenishing its wow. water supply. Yeah. So I thought to myself after all of that was over, and then I found out that Bobby Ray Inman, who was a rather odd character in a... In a uh, CIA guy who got in a fight with the CIA and uh, uh, and got involved in DARPA was apparently uh, owned the web servers that the Heaven's Gate websites were on. What? And I just, yeah, I know. And I, I can't ever, I tried to track it down, but it, it's now, it's just nothing left of it, but a few sort of 
warm ashes in the conspiracy theory community. But at the time, it was pretty clear that that was the case. Yeah. So I just, uh, I just don't know what happened. But you know, you there's one of the that's one of the rabbit holes. You peek into those rabbit holes, and then yeah. the next thing you know, you're gone. And uh, you think, well, I'll get out of the rabbit hole. And you turn around, and you say, what? Didn't I come from back there? No, I must have come from over there. Right, right. <laughs> and they're not getting out, but uh, I'm yeah. not in that rabbit hole. But suffice to say. I, I will add to that, Whitley, as well. The, the remote viewer was Courtney Brown. And ah, yeah, I didn't during remember. Those, during those events, you and Art brought him on and took him to task as well as the individual that provided the photograph that, that, that had a craft that wasn't found in other two photographs at one point in time. One of them was like, well, this looks to be the real one that's not there. And another one that you, you had suspected that time was maybe augmented or, or, or fabricated. That was the one with the circle around it. That's right. That's correct. And, And you guys, you spent, you spent two and a half or three hours on there grilling him about like what the hell was this like yeah. you almost you, you know you're you could have dragged everyone down in addition to what what are you doing so that was interesting i think it was a foundational moment in terms of how the remote viewing community started to like check themselves a little bit potentially and figure out how they were going to move forward with their studies potentially well it was a it was a terrible experience and um and of course art was blamed for what happened and that was wrong boy he was not to blame uh he he was blamed for simply bringing it up and in that sense yes i mean he did bring it up but it was his job to you know he was out there entertaining the impossible and the unlikely and the improbable he wasn't advocating he was not an advocate yeah. Art did not have a lot of beliefs. <laughs> he was not a believer. I knew him well. What was it like for you to take over Dreamland at the time you did? Wonderful fun. I had always been interested in radio. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly I had a radio show. Wow. And it was uh it was on Clear Channel for a couple of years, uh on Sunday nights, and then uh uh they had a big right wing uh right winger come on Sunday nights and he blew me off the air. And uh, (laughs) so then I went on Saturday nights, but they couldn't get enough advertisers to sustain the show on Saturday nights. So I was off and I said to Ann, what are we going to do? I love doing this. And she said, go on the internet. I said, how would we do that? And we became one of the first podcasts. You're an OG podcaster. You're an original gangster. (laughs) It's <laughs> That's right. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. sure am. And uh, and I still do it every week. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's my my baby. That moment when you sat in the chair and you filled in on Coast to Coast AM, some of those first moments were so fun to see you in that radio environment, step in for <laughs> art. What was that experience like for you? Well, it was mixed. The first time, I think it was the first or second time. Uh, so- I was too tense and I became unable to continue the show. I was, I had, uh, I became ill and they ended up having to play music for the last two thirds of the show. But I'll tell you the, (laughs) the funniest one was when I had Edgar Mitchell on and art said to me, be careful. 
Edgar is a hard interview. And I said, but I know Edgar. And he's told me all these wonderful and cool things. He said, I'm telling you, Whitley, he's told me the same things, but just be careful. Expect to get, have a have another guest in the wings because you've got a long, it was three hours, I believe, in those days. Yeah. And uh, you've got a long night. And so I thought, I'm better than this. I'm going to be, I'm going to have a great time with Edgar. And 10 minutes into the interview, it was over. Edgar, <laughs> Edgar, who talked about different alien species and privately and all kinds of seeing things on the moon and all kinds of cool stuff on the air. It was just, yep. Nope. <laughs> yep. Maybe. And you know, you had, you had all your questions worked out and the springboards for discussion and everything. Yep. Nope. Maybe. Oh no. <laughs> Don't remember that. And and I thought, I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm dead. And, but then, you know, I got into the swing of it and it got to be a lot of fun. And and we used to co go on uh, up to uh their their studio here in, in Los Angeles. Annie and I would do it, do it at uh a sub from time to time for George. Yeah. And it was such fun. And they asked me right after Annie passed away if I wanted to do a sub. And I thought, I can't. And I can't do it. And yeah. they've never asked me again. Yeah. I probably would if I was asked. Right. Because I'm a very easygoing, comfortable interviewer at this point. I've I've seen it all. Yeah. Well, it, you know, anyone listening to this right now that that hasn't been listening to Dreamland or hasn't checked that out, it's a you know you can find it on any podcast platform, and there's an incredible archive. And your website at unknowncountry.com also has an incredible wealth of audio. Uh, it has a show from from our mutual friend Mike Cleland as well. Uh, all of that work is fascinating. In addition to that, is there anything else that you'd like people to check out? Perhaps this oh, new yeah, book. Yeah, I have I have a new book, Them, which is just coming out. It's available in hardcover, softcover, and Kindle on Amazon right now, and will be in, in Audible audiobook form soon. Well, Whitley, it was a pleasure talking with you and, and getting to know you personally a little bit on this, and uh, I, I can't wait to talk with you again and see you sometime. Yeah, and thank Mike for introducing us. I had a lot of fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Whitley. Bye-bye.